Hello, 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 you lovely, lucky people. Welcome back to another episode of the Hurtwood Muse podcast. This week we've got Evelyn talking about Edgar Allan Poe, uh, one of her favourite writers, reading some extracts from his poetry, reading some extracts from his short stories. I'm sure, I'm absolutely certain, even if you are not familiar with the name or you haven't connected the name with the writing, that you have absolutely read some of his stuff. He's a, he's a huge figure in the history of American literature He's a huge figure in the world of horror writing. He kind of single... Three, two, one. He kind of single-handedly invented both the horror genre and the detective fiction genre with the Poloined Letter. Um, Yeah, he's an absolutely huge figure um, and is responsible for many of the things these days that we would consider to be tropes or um, stereotypes or cliches within the horror literature genre. So I'll just read you some info and facts about Edgar Allan Poe from the Poetry Foundation, really good online resource. Uh, It says that he's regarded in literary histories and handbooks as the architect of the modern short story, a principal forerunner of the art for art's sake movement in the 19th century, Um, whereas earlier critics predominantly concerned themselves with moral or ideological generalities. Poe focused his criticism on the specifics of style and construction that contributed to a work's effectiveness or failure. In his own work, he demonstrated a brilliant command of language and technique as well as an inspired and original imagination. Poe's poetry and short stories greatly influenced the French symbolists of the late 19th century, who in turn altered the direction of modern literature. So, a huge figure. We hope you enjoy, we're sure you will, Evelyn's reading from Edgar Allan Poe's short stories and poetry. Until next time, folks, speak soon. Bye! I have not done a podcast in so long because I have been so busy. Actually, I should probably sit a bit more forward. <laughs> Don't know why I'm so far back. Um, but yeah, today um, I need to say hello. Hi, my name is Evelyn Emerson. Usually I'm on here with Meadow, but she's been busy. She abandoned me. I know, but (laughs) we're going to start again soon. Um, Next ending my slot. So yeah, our next podcast is going to be on victim mentality. So do stay tuned. The four people that listen to me speak. (laughs) Yeah. um, Today I thought I'd talk about my, one of my biggest poetry inspirations. One of my big, uh, I don't know. Anyway. You can really tell I do English lit, can't you? Mm, my amazing grammar, my amazing interesting sentence structures, and my tendency to ramble. Yeah. Anyway, um, I always say William Blake is the one who really inspired me to write, and that is completely true. However, my style of writing is definitely, definitely, definitely attributed to the great Edgar Allan Poe. I know. I'm so original, guys. <laughs> Literally two of the most famous poets in human history. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, so I get kind of peeved, a bit annoyed when people say that all oh, his poetry is the same or all oh, his poetry, you know, is just so depressing. And they forget that he 
you know, wrote so many comedies. He, you know, a lot of his works were actually humour and satire. It's just that a lot of those works didn't get popular, which is very, you know, very upsetting. Um, but yeah, we're not going to focus too much on those today. Um, instead, I'm just going to tell you kind of the history of Edgar Allan Poe with some of his poems, you know. I'm sorry if this is boring for anyone, but yeah, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's so interesting. So we're going to start with the most well-known um, short story by Edgar Allan Poe, aka The Telltale Heart. Um, so this actually wasn't famous until he had passed, um, and then it became his like most famous um, story. During his life, he didn't actually really accumulate that much fame anyway. Um, he did accumulate some, but he's more famous in death than he ever thought he could be um, in life, which is just another thing to add to his very depressing life. Um, Edgar Allan Poe was born during a time of immense, immense, immense poverty. Um, so growing up, he was poor. Um, and back then, when someone was poor, they were physically on the streets. A lot of people nowadays are also physically on the streets as well. And it's sad that that hasn't changed in today's society. But yeah. Um, so yeah, he grew up. His, his relationship with his parents wasn't the best. We'll say that. He was the second child of famous actors. But his father abandoned his family in 1810. Um, and this left the family completely broken, not knowing what to do, leaving them in complete financial difficulty. This is probably why a lot of his works are deemed as so depressing, because when you grow up in that sort of environment, you know, what do people expect? Going through life, he then developed an alcohol and drug addiction, um, which many theorise is what led to his recurrent bounce of depression, aka bipolar disorder though obviously you can't retrospectively diagnose anyone that's unethical to do and also it's illogical because you don't actually know their lives but um yeah sorry i really do love going on tangents about them but yeah so a lot of his poems also feature a central character lenore now lenore is thought to be his love that he lost either through death because that's often how he portrays her as dead or through other means. Um, he did, in 1831, actually write a poem after her, so I'm just gonna read it a bit to you guys. Ah, uh, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll, a saintly soul floats on the Stygian river. And, guy diverse, hast thou no tear? Weep now or nevermore. See on yon drear and rigid beer, low lies thy love, Lenore. Come. Let the burial site be read, the funeral song be sung, an anthem for the queenliest dead that ever died so young. A dirge for her, the doubtly dead, in that she died so young. Now that is the opening stanza. Um, yeah, I think from that you can kind of tell what his, um, his style is like. I know I said I'd be doing a title half first, but I actually thought that I probably should get into a bit of context. So yeah, in his other poems, you also see references to Lenore, most notably in his extremely famous poem, that's right, The Raven. The Raven is my favorite poem as well. I really, really, really love 
the structure of the poem. I, I think it's my favourite poem also in terms of um, rhythm. It has a very, very specific rhythm because I'm searching up the name because, yeah, I can never pronounce it. Trochaic Octometer. <laughs> oh gosh. It's, yeah, it's so difficult to pronounce. But anyway, so I'm just going to read a bit. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more." So, those, that is, rather, the first verse. Later, um, the poem starts to speed up a bit. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating. To some visitor entreating and trancing at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating and trancing at my chamber door, this is it, nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping and so gently you came rapping and so gently you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that was scarce I sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness, sir, and nothing more. So I really like that verse because in poems it's so rare to be able to read it and to feel the anxiety and anticipation and for it to end on darkness there and nothing more. I know The Simpsons um, did a Treehouse of Horror and, and Bart was saying that Lisa, you know, anything, you know what would have been scarier than that? Anything. And for me, I think that's what makes it scary because the fact that you know you have so much of a poem to still read through or to listen to however you're consuming a piece of poem and you don't know what the fear truly is it's like you're always waiting for something i don't know i just find that more horrifying than any beast that could have been described on paper and then i'm gonna get to the ending because this is my favorite part not because i want it to end sorry <laughs> this is why i have meadow here she regulates me she keeps me sane and the, and the raven never fleeting. Ugh, me starting off wrong. And the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes are all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight overthrows him, shadow on the floor. And my soul from out the shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. As an ending, I think it's such a strong ending to have. And it just makes you want to reread it all over again uh, I just really really love it I'm trying to find my other favorite verse because it's just so amazing to me um, I don't even know if I can find it you know what that's fine anyway I'm gonna skip back we're doing this out of order to the section on Lenore ah distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December and each separate dying ember what its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I'd sought to borrow from my book's secrease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, nameless here forevermore. So in this, there's essentially a man who is 
reading books, kind of wasting his life alone because he has lost his love, Lenore. <laughs> yeah. And a raven starts to tap at his door and then his window. And he realises basically what it is and it's, yeah, that's basically the whole poem. As you've probably guessed by the title, The Raven. And a lot of people have their own opinions on what this means. I feel like the most common is essentially that this is an Edgar Allan Poe self-insert um, and he felt as though at the time he was wasting his life and that death was chasing him, symbolised through the Black Raven, and that he would never get answers about Lenore's death or where she was. And that was how he was going to live. So yeah, I think it is an extremely sad poem and it contrasts so nicely with the fast tempo because a lot of his poems are often very slowed um which isn't a bad thing i just think it's very typical um i still enjoy them obviously um for instance actually let me read you my yeah and no, I'll, I'll continue um my second favorite poem by him is the city in the sea which he wrote in 18 or was published rather in 1831 and it's about a sunken city, and it's a city of sin, and it's a city of plague, and it's um, watched essentially by death, who sits looking gigantically down as he writes. So I'll just read the opening. Lo, death has reared himself a throne in a strange city alone, far down within the dim west, where the good and the bad and the worst and the best have gone to their eternal rest. There, shrines and palaces and towers, time-eaten towers that tremble not, resemble nothing that is ours, around by lifting winds forgot. Resignantly beneath the sky, the melancholy waters he. So that's the opening. I think one of Edgar Allan's greatest strengths is definitely his ability to invoke images and emotions because when I first read this, even though I barely understood the language, I still thought of this gigantic lich king sort of figure above a city underwater, a city drowned with no civilians, but you can kind of hear the screams of them. I know, probably too in-depth, but that's what I imagined. Um, also, Edgar Allan Poe had a... I'm just going to say Poe from here on out. I don't know why I'm saying his whole name. Um, but Poe had a fixation, or, yeah, we'll say fixation, um, for rhyme. At the time, obviously, rhyme was very common within poems, but all, almost all of his poems rhymed so intensively. And I think that's something I really love, because not only does it create a certain rhythm, but it also allows, kind of, I don't want to say everyone to understand, but you can kind of piece together through the rhyme the time the type of tone like with the raven it's quick and it's fast paced but you know it's sad so put quick fast paced and sad together for me that's anxiety which is what the poem is about it's about death anxiety or at least to me whereas in the city of the sea the rhyming scheme you know throne alone west best it's kind of simple and that put together with the kind of you know the vocabulary which even back then it was not it wasn't in common use for me it's like this complex issue is being reduced to something so simple because this poem a lot of people take it to um to be talking about how 
during the time in which Poe was alive, obviously there was a lot of corruption, especially with the church, and how people would pay for these indulgences so that the church would forgive them of all their sins. But how, at the end of the day, you know, that's not how things work. You can't pay for your sins to be forgiven. You know, that's... Or at least that's not the Catholic Church is supposed to believe in. But yeah, I thought that was such an... I really, really love this poem. I think if any of the poems I wanted to be... If I could create into an artwork, I'd definitely pick The City and the Sea. Now we're going to go to something a little controversial. And that is what I deem to be his worst poem. Now, obviously a lot of people are going to disagree with me. This is purely opinion. In terms of in terms of structure, it's amazing. Rhyme, it's amazing. But I just think it's boring. Um, yeah, I've, every time I've read this poem, I tried so hard to like it. And I just never did. So, yeah, it's kind of strange. And it's called The Haunted Palace. I will read the first three uh, verses, just so everyone else can get a feel. In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace, reared its head. In the monarch's thought's dominion it stood there, never seraph spread opinion of a fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious golden on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time, long ago. And every gentle air that daled in that sweet day, along the ramparts plumbed and pallid, a winged odour went away. Wanderers in that happy valley, through two luminous windows saw, spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law, round about a throne where sitting, Prophegron, in state his glory well befitting, the ruler of this realm was seen. So for me, the haunted palace is essentially a worse version of um uh why am I actually getting tongue twisted? Um of the city in the sea. I don't know, I just I've never liked it. And even though and also the city in the sea um was its predecessor. So for me, like yeah, it I really just felt like it was not necessary to be created. Um yeah, I just didn't like it. I think, A, for me, the imagery isn't as clear. And also, I feel like there's so much focus on language that the meaning is kind of lost. But as I said, that's my opinion of it. Um, in terms of structure, when I look at it on the page, I also think it's very unlike him. It's very blocky. Um, it just looks unappealing, <laughs> essentially. Whereas The Raven, I can forgive its unappealing look because of how amazing the actual poem is. With, you know, with this poem, I just really can't. It's just kind of meh to me. I don't know. I just find it kind of strange. But, but uh, <laughs> this is turning into me just hating him, but whatever. Anyway, so that is it for the poetry section. I'll probably come back to it because I have no like idea of structuring i really should plan this out better beforehand but i didn't now we're going to go on to tales so his most well-known tale as i said earlier um is the telltale heart the telltale heart follows the story of a man who was essentially a servant and his master or i'm saying this i don't even know for sure if it was like a servant i've read it so many times but their relationship is kind of undefined essentially he lives in the house with an old man 
and the old man has an eye and this eye is large and it's following him all the time so he decides to take away his eye but he can't do that without killing him so multiple times he goes to his room and he tries to kill him but he can't because his eye is closed and he doesn't hate the old man he just hates his eye (laughs) so yeah he then goes and finally he kills him and while he's telling us this story he's repeating that he's sane and how he's perfectly fine and that he can tell the story so well that he must be sane anyway i digress so he's killed the old man and the next morning the police come and the police have heard a scream or the neighbors rather heard a scream and they reported it so he sits down with them and he's so grandiose that he places his chair not me missing a crucial part i just realized i haven't said but he put he cut up his body and put him um underneath the floorboards <laughs> i'm so bad at this anyway um and then he places his chair above the body in act of you know just being so grandiose and he talks with them and he talks with them and he's having a lovely conversation until he hears a dull thud and he looks around and he looks around to the policeman and they look fine they're continuing speaking so he plays it off it's just in his head it's fine but then it gets louder and louder and louder until it's all he can hear and he tells himself that the police already know that they're mocking him and finally he reveals his crimes he unearths the body from the floorboard and he is put in an asylum because that's what they had those days and that is where he's telling the story from i thought i'd explain the story before i read a bit of the extract just because it makes more sense that way yeah this is the beginning true nervous very very dreadfully nervous i'd been and am but why will you say that i am mad the disease has sharpened my senses not destroyed not dulled them above all was the sense of hearing acute i heard all things in heaven and in earth i heard many things in hell how then am i mad open the lantern Ooh, have I just skipped a page? Yes, I have. Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture. A pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Mad men know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently. 
and then when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern. All closed, closed so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunning I thrust it in. So that's just the beginning. Um, and that's basically, yeah, that kind of sets the tone for the whole poem. I think I might read you also the ending lines. Villains, I shrieked, dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks here, here, this is the beating of his hideous heart. Now, a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's um, tales were about a mad narrator desperately trying to prove that they are telling reality from fiction and that they they basically just try and justify their actions while doing it and this is extremely interesting because it is in almost all of his tales it's really a favorite for him you can also see this in the black cat which i will read you later but it's the black cat's far more gory um and trigger warning for animal abuse for that one and it's interesting because as i said Edgar Allan Poe was thought to have mental illness himself um he definitely was um addicted to drugs and alcohol but it's interesting that as a writer he writes so often about a mad writer like himself that feels the need to always justify his actions and justify his narrative and what he believes to be his truth I don't know, I just find it interesting. I think Telltale Heart for me, I think the reason why it's also gotten so popular is aside from how short it is, so how easily consumable it is for young adults. I don't want to say children because I don't think a baby should be reading that. But, you know, maybe 14, 13 can read that. I wouldn't be mad about it or if my child was 14, 13 and read that. But um, I think A, it's easily consumable. I think B, there's this it, because it focuses on one sole character it's so easy to get immersed because it's like your friend gossiping to you your friend you know telling you about what's going on because it's just one man telling his story and we are never isolated then from um the narrative oftentimes big books will have either a third person perspective which already isolates you or they'll be speaking about so many different things which isolates you because honestly who's trying to remember all of that and also isolates you because it's so long you have to consume it in multiple you know over multiple sessions whereas with this it's bam and it's done it's 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 small so yeah i think that's honestly why it's so popular um i wouldn't say it's my favorite by him um it definitely was the oh actually i don't think it was i think it was the second one i read um i think the first one i read by him i'm just flicking to the page was was it mask of the red death yeah the mask of the red death that was the first one i read by him because i'm quirky (laughs) and i didn't read that one first um i'll go into that last probably anyway as stated his favorite trope is a mad writer trying to justify his actions or basically say he's not mad that's the same within the black cat i'm just going to read you opening before i explain the um storyline because i want you guys to feel the shock that i did when i first read this for the most wild yet most homely narrative which i am about to pen i neither expect nor solicit belief mad indeed would i would i be to expect it 
in a case where my very senses reject their own evidence. Yet, mad am I, I not. And very surely do I not dream. But tomorrow I die, and today I would unburden my soul. My immediate purpose is to place before the world, plainly, succinctly, and without comment, a series of mere household events, and their consequences these events have terrified, have tortured, have destroyed me. Yet I will attempt to expound them. To me they have presented little but horror. To many they will seem less terrible than Baroque's. Hereafter perhaps some intellect may be found which will reduce my phantomism to the commonplace. Some intellect more calm, more logical and far less excitable than my own which will perceive in in the circumstances I detail with R nothing more than extraordinary succession of very natural causes and effects. So once again we've got the narrator basically saying I'm not mad I just want to tell you a story and you know I went into it open-minded and you find out that this man his whole life had kind of been a bit dreary which once again reminds you a lot of Poe's life himself but um he then goes on to marry his wife gets a cat and he feels like this cat is watching him antagonizing him and he starts having these delusions of persecution and he eventually takes the cat's eye um and yeah the cat dies and he buries it in a wall and then he goes out and he sees another cat and it hasn't got the eye so he chases it and he chases it and he kills it and I think he also puts it in the wall again and essentially the jury he then gets sent to prison I can't remember if he killed his wife honestly I probably should have reread it because I haven't read it for so long but my main point about this is not the actual story itself so you'll see why in a minute anyway um and essentially it ends on him being in prison and them all saying like kill him kill him very cyclical in the same way that the telltale heart is you can see then how similar they are. One man killed a cat, the other man killed no man. Like, that's essentially the only difference between the two. Um, and this is not me criticising Poe's choice to have two similar themes, even though that is exactly what I did with Sunken City. But for me, it's different. Because for me with this, it's... It's criticising two different things. In the Telltale Heart, it's criticising, you know, the system which allowed, I guess, um, our narrator to go unhelped, I guess. And it's also kind of mocking the police at the time because they didn't even realise that this man was a full murderer um, and they were just having tea with him, having a good old time. So that's criticising kind of the police and I guess the medical system at the time. Whereas the black cat, it's, for me at least, it's less literal and it's more symbolic. For me, just like the raven symbolises death, the black cat symbolises, I guess, it's like a fear of, I don't know, 
because the reason why he hated the cat initially was jealousy kind of he felt like his wife loved the cat more than him so i guess you could say romantic jealousy like fear of someone leaving you regardless um even though there's similar themes i really really did enjoy it i remember being so shocked when i found out he was a cat killer i was like "Uh uh-uh no i have a cat myself absolutely not and i remember i hated him from the beginning to the end well as soon as i found out till the end and it was interesting how i had such feelings of disgust even as he tried to plead his case yeah i don't know just the fact that poe could elicit such anger from me in such a short amount of time because these are all very very short tales astounded me i finished reading that and i was still upset because i genuinely had imagined this cat i had likened it to my own and i now felt just i don't know i just felt so upset (laughs) by the way i should have prefaced this this is not gonna be any analytical readings i'm not in the mood to be any more analytical we just finished our coursework in english so i'm very tired next we're gonna go on to another tale now this tale honestly i want to say this is more of a giant like a diary entry this is essentially poe talking about as the title suggests it's called the premature burial it's talking about premature burials being buried alive and poe as a gothic romantic you know writer was keeping up to date with anything going on that he could add into his novels and you know this because he writes um i'll just read the beginning there are certain themes of which the interest is all absorbing which are too entirely horrible for the purpose of legitimate fiction these the mere romanticists must eschew if he did not wish to offend or to disgust they are which property handled only when the severity and majesty of truth sanctify and sustain them we thrill for example with the most intense of pleasurable pain over the accounts of passage of Brazil or the earthquake of Lisbon, of the plague at London, of the massacre at St. Bartholomew, or of the stifling of the 123 prisoners in the black hole at Calcutta. But in these accounts, it is in fact, it is reality. It is the history which excites. It is inventions we should regard them with simple abhorrence. So he then goes on to talk about to be buried while alive is beyond question the most terrific of these extremes which has ever fallen to the lot of mere mortality. And I think that kind of tells you of his mindset. He doesn't want to get too graphic or too disgusting, which he writes, you don't want to disgust your readers. But he also says that we all have this innate interest, this morbid curiosity, if you will, um, in real world events and we're okay with that because it's the reality we don't feel bad for indulging in the news because we feel as though it's our duty as good civilians but he argues that we don't do it for duty we do it because we are interested in the dark nitty-gritty areas of life because it's the truth to us positivity for us isn't the truth negativity is what we deem to be reality and he then goes on to talk about premature burials which he deems to be the most terrifying but as he states terrific um human experience in comparison to massacres of prisoners of of plagues that killed thousands and millions he says that this one act of premature burials which is so uncommon 
or at least nowadays it's uncommon back then it was it was more uncommon than the plague we'll say but it wasn't completely uncommon um he says that that's more terrifying and i find it extremely interesting because premature burials actually happened quite a lot which is why in um old graveyard you'll see a bell and it was basically believed that if someone was to you know come back up they could just ring the bell and be like hey guys you buried me not cool of your um or at least that's what people believe they're from therefore well that's why they believe they were started other people claim it's because of zombies you never know these days you really don't but anyway i digress i just think it's so interesting that one of his alleged tales is essentially a journal entry and i think it really just allows us to get to know him a lot better and allows us to get to know how he writes because i feel like one of people's biggest criticisms about his work at least is that it kind of just feels like he's you know a 14 year old kind of just writing drivel about you know dark edgy topics but you have to remember in his time this was new he was the original e-boy if you will probably not the best comparison definitely not the best comparison anyway um he was one of the first to be talking about some of these topics at least in the west and yeah so you just really have to think about that and you have to remember that he was the first he was the og okay um yeah aside from that i think the reason why he interests me so much is because the fact that he was so careful to ensure that each poem had the same style except the poem that i shall not speak about because we don't talk about that all had the same style and it all could have been one universe and i just found that so interesting yeah but as i said william blake is the one who got me into poetry but i think poe's style is very alike to my own i definitely think i I used his style to kind of make me who i am if you will um i'm just gonna read one of my poems because i'm egocentrical um a lot of people gonna hear this and be like that sounds nothing like it but to me i just know for a fact that i took so much inspiration from him and this is called the earthworms i can never feel the earth roar under my skin flexed fingers submerged in decay grazing little earthworms and it's to you i should thank as though your arm is always ready waiting eyes wide watching you have a pension for the peculiar a preoccupation with gazing upon my peripatia i must remind you you are not god to the earthworms you may be able to mold their figures pick them up and place them miles apart that they have no arms to pray to you are simply a predator they the prey you do not understand in the same way you laugh as i say hell is cold hell is a tundra as i plunge my fury deep until the guiltless homes concealed in the ground among little earthworms i'm awful at reading my poetry so at some point sorry i definitely fumbled but whatever um yeah i don't know i just really owe a lot of my style to edgar Allan Poe, and i owe my interest to poetry in liam blake so yeah i don't know i wanted to do a podcast and i did one so i'm happy even if i 
sound completely crazy and my speech was completely tangential, it's okay because I did not structure it. But yeah, I think all I want to say as a last closing note is people should read more of his work, not just the Telltale Heart. I know it's tempting, but he has other amazing works. The Black Cat, for instance. And if you don't like things which are so, um, if it's too scary, then The Mask of the Red Death is amazing. It's about um, a young royal who, instead of facing the plague, obviously, um, locks him and his party guests away. And it's kind of like this endless party until it's not. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it's very da da da. I don't know if you guys understand that sound effect, but you'll you'll get it. You'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one that I really liked was well yeah i didn't really like his human satire that much but i think the three that i loved the most was never bet the devil your head um bonbon and i think it was the angel of the odd i can't completely remember like really don't quote me um yeah i think those are my favorites my favorite poems, as I said. Oh yeah, hold on. I'm just gonna read a single one to you because this one is also very common for the beginning, but then for the end, no one ever reads it. And that just makes me sad because it's really amazing. Um, if I can get the page up. So, A Dream Within a Dream. Definitely one of his most favorite lines. Um, but in terms of the whole poem, a lot of people just don't read it, which fair enough. A lot of people don't like poetry. You don't have to like poetry, obviously. It's only two verses, very, very short, so I'm just going to read it to you now as a closing. <clears throat> Take this kiss upon the brow, and, imparting from you now, thus much let me now avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope has flown away, in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not clasp them with tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitless wave? Is all that we still see but a dream within a dream? Now this poem is about his depression, about his life, about how his reality and how his life is fading and slipping away and there's nothing he can do from it, do about it except question whether this is just the dream and that soon he'll wake up and he'll have more years and he'll have a better life and I think that's something that everyone can relate to. Sometimes when we feel really, really low it's like, this can't be real, <laughs> you know, this cannot be reality. And I think his exploration of these simple yet kind of topics that we kind of try and shy away from with toxic positivity culture nowadays, you know, everything's got to be sunshine and rainbows. I think that's why we're so attracted to these darker works now. I think it's the same reason that people are attracted to, you know, watching movies about serial killers. Personally, I don't, but I guess it's for the same reason. It's like, if everything in the world is painted yellow, it feels a bit fake. Sometimes you have to acknowledge the sad times, the sad things in reality, A, to improve them, and B, just so that you don't feel like when you're feeling low that you're the only one. I don't know, I think he really did help me with that. I think I discovered his poetry when I was, oh, 
I want to say uh, maybe 12, 13 around then. Um, and I remember at the time I was so into it. I literally was. So, I remember quoting the Raven. Literally, no one around me cared, but I literally would be like, "Nevermore, nevermore." They must have thought I was so rude, but yeah, I was obsessed, obsessed. And I think I'm less obsessed today, but um, I'm still very appreciative. But yeah, so that's all I've got to say. Feels weird just saying goodbye because I feel like all I've done is ramble, but whatever. But yeah, thank you for listening to me. If you did listen to me, I doubt anyone stayed this far, but if you did, seriously, thank you. Um, next time it'll be a lot more structured because Meadow will be with me. Um, so yeah, see you guys next time. Bye.